you're wondering how to get in contact with us, you can hit us up on Twitter, where our handle is... At ConfessionsHSBT. And we're also on Instagram. Which where I'm assuming is the same, right? ConfessionsHSBT. Um, right we also on. have a Facebook page. Um, Wayne is the one who mostly runs that. I'm not sure how that works. What? Yeah, uh, you can you can search for us there. Confessions of a High School Bible Teacher. It's a great place for you guys, along with the other... Um, avenues but it's a great place to leave questions or comments or tell us you don't like us or tell us you like us and either way we'll we'll talk back to you lovingly and gently (laughs) and also if you want to use the old-fashioned method of sending us emails um, you can actually go to our website confessionshsbt.com and there's a contact us page and you can just type a good old-fashioned email there yeah hit us up or send us a pigeon Yes. You are listening to Confessions of a High School Bible Teacher. Hey, everybody. This is Chris Seals, and across from me is Wayne David Randolph. And that makes this Confessions of a High School Bible Teacher. Yes, it does. Hey, Chris, we have uh, launched our website, and we're actually on iTunes, and I feel slightly cooler today than I did yesterday. Yes. Uh, how, how about you? I feel a little cooler. Um, for For those of you who are listening to this episode, um, this might be old news, because we are recording in the future. Ooh. Or no, technically the past. Yeah, we're recording in the past. We are. So yeah, you might already know that. <laughs> um, but yeah, also um, we've got nine followers on Twitter, so we're definitely blowing up. I know, man. The biggest Dang. thing we, since the nine tweet. Yes. Speaking of blowing up, Chris, do you like blowing things up? Um, I'm not sure if I should answer that question if the government's listening. Oh, that's true. I mean, I'll rephrase it. Hey, uh, at any point in your life in your development, have you did you ever go through a phase of board games? Like, did you like just love playing board games? Yes, I did go through a phase where I loved, I'm making air quotes, board games, um, particularly the ones, um, the board game M80s in Mexico. I don't know that board game. Oh. What is that? Oh, I, th- I thought by board games we were talking about explosives. Oh, no, no. Like, literally, oh, that's the air quotes. No, literally. Did you ever play board games? Oh, I thought M80s we were talking about Mexico. explosives and you were trying to protect listening, dude. my reputation. That's awesome. No, like, did you ever, did you ever get into board games? I did. did um, my family, we would play Monopoly often. Okay. I guess I felt like when you were younger? Yes. Did you, my, my family was Risk. Hmm. Um, and then if, if anybody remembers that game or, or I, mean, I know it's still around, but you would like save cause it lasts forever. It's uh-huh. like hours and hours and hours and you would save it. And do you ever play that one or sometimes in college? I, you know, what's funny is maybe this is revealing of my personality, but I played Lord of the Rings risk. Um, so <laughs> instead of different aspects of the world, yes. it was, um, yes. different parts of middle earth that you would battle over. Yeah. Um, yeah, but the, like the game yes, was I, the same. Yes, the game is, same game. is that you battle. Yes. Um, I, I've always kind of been an idealist, um, and there was something about risk that really bothered me, and mm. it was um, there was only really like a supreme leader. Hmm. There, there was like I wanted to like I wanted second place to be like a thing. Got it. Do, you, do like, you remember the game enough to know like what second place gets? Do you get anything? No, you get annihilated. Oh. Like, <laughs> like you don't. Like there, there really is no second place in in, in risk and. Um, 
you know, as we're as we're looking today, we're going to go into like kingdom and and, and empire and, and kind of talking about those things. It really got me thinking about that game, and then mm. really just how many games I think that I've probably played and, and currently play some of the apps and, and some of the games that we play. Um, it seems like it is this um, accumulation of stuff, mm-hmm. and at the expense of somebody else accumulating stuff. I mean, you don't share in risk. Right. Um, I, again, the idealist in me. Um, so it's accumulation of stuff, and kind of he with the most stuff can tell the other people what to do. And, and risk, you can you can obliterate them. Right. Um, it's probably not that far fetched of of kind of worlds and societies yeah. and people in, in different countries and um, yeah even yeah. Th- even thinking about like the the idea of world domination um, throughout <laughs> throughout the throughout the I guess different centuries and different millennia we we label it differently um, now we would just say that we are maybe the, there is a, a group of people that is the the main power right we mm. talk about the the world powers yeah um, superpowers superpowers mega powers yeah right? Um, and then some of the ancient vocabulary that would be used is this idea of empire. Empire. Right? Yeah. And, and that's kind of what we wanted to get at is the interesting thing is the topic of this is kingdom versus empire. But if you go actually into the Greek language, the word for both kingdom and empire is the same word. It's the word mm. um, basileia. Mm. And so Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, I come to, or he doesn't say I come to, but he shows up on the scene and it says that the gospel that he preaches um, is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, for the basileia of God mm. is at hand, that there's this new empire that's on the scene that is going to take over, right? I, I wonder, I would imagine that that probably caused some misinterpreting and mm-hmm. misunderstanding uh, and, with his followers and just yeah. anybody listening, like, because they know that game, right? They, right. they know... Uh, they know that that when there's an empire, that that quite often there's another one kind of breathing down your neck, and there's this other empire that that can come, and mm-hmm. and the way that you topple one is is through weapons of war and destruction, and and again, you know, either obliteration or or surrender. Yeah. Um, do you, do you, do you think? Uh, think maybe people were missing the point with that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure they were. And yeah. I, like when when we teach this um, in my sophomore year Bible class, one of the 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 things that we that I try to do when teaching that class is to get the students to understand what they were hearing when Jesus said the kingdom of God is at mm. hand. And so naturally, if you want to know why Jesus is saying this thing, and by the way, kingdom of God is, that is the the central message of Jesus. Um, if, if you like numbers, I, I believe of direct appearances where he says the phrase, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, it's something like 106 times that Jesus says this over the four gospels. Um, it is far in first place. Second place, we have the word love showing up in somewhere in the eighties, like 86 to 89 times Jesus references this word love. Um, and so if we're going to talk about, well, I wonder what Jesus's central message is. Um, I thought, I think, pop culture, the message is, oh, his message is love. But really, the thing he's constantly harping about is this idea of kingdom, hmm. right? What is which, which there's love in the kingdom. Right, absolutely. But, but the, 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 the bigger picture really, yeah, is kingdom, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. And so if we want to know what the first century hearers were hearing, we got to go, okay, well then, when they heard basileia, um, or whatever that word is in right. Aramaic that Jesus was using. Right. Um, you could probably make up something. And, <laughs> awesome. Um, <laughs> then what is... What was the thing that was ringing in their ears that was um, spinning in their minds as Jesus said this? And mm. so to do that, I think um, we need to kind of backtrack and, yeah, and think about, okay, what did empire 
look like. Yeah. Um, and one of the words, I think that you were the one who introduced this to me a long time ago in a sermon um, back at our old house church, yeah. um, is this word sa'ak. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And sa'ak and empire kind of go hand in hand. It's, um, it's the Hebrew word for, it's often translated as to cry or to cry out, but it's also sometimes translated as to summon. Yeah. Um, and in, in the Old Testament, it's used about 55 times, different mm. variations of this word. But um, if we just look in a, I guess, a, a Bible reference to see sure. how does this word translated, we can say throw out a bunch of words, but I, I feel like um, you can probably unpack this idea a little bit better. What is, what is this sa'ak? Yeah, sa'ak, the, the way that I introduce it. So it's so fun that, again, you know, just working with each other and, you know, I get, I get a, a round of kids first and then you get them the next year mm-hmm. and we kind of, you know, we're, we're kind of placing these Chris and Wayne kind of uh, building blocks with them. Yeah. So in ninth grade, we, we do a, a pretty quick kind of shotgun overview of, of the Bible. And mm-hmm. so we're really looking just for like major themes and narratives. And um, so when we introduce sa'ak, um, it comes right after actually the Shalom talk. And, and so mm-hmm. we, we frame our story or the foundational story for all of scripture is this kind of this concept of original, of original blessing where God is, is showing up and setting up a system. Mm-hmm. And we've called that, that system Shalom. And you can check out one of our episodes and I know we'll, we'll keep on talking yeah. about that concept. But so within that system, God creates something really good and, and man and humanity decides, well, we don't, we don't want that. So we're going to create our own system mm-hmm. and the best that it seems uh, right away that the best that man can do is this concept of empire. And so with empire is going to come some baggage. And where that word sa'ak is actually introduced to us is in the Exodus story, hmm. is where we really, really first kind of get it. And uh, again, I think you alluded to this in one of our other podcasts, but the, the beauty of Hebrew is kind of the open-endedness of it and this kind of artsy, uh, right. this artsiness, if, if that's a word we can use of Hebrew. And so one of the ways that, that I have heard um, sa'ak translated, and it's the definition I give my students, is a cry that demands a response. Mm. Right. Um, and, and, that would, and that would accommodate both the, the cry out and the idea that it's a summons. And that's a summons, yeah, summons. because we're, we're saying, um, and you know, if you can think of some of the psalmists, like, how long, God, do I have to wait around? Right. Like, Crap is getting bad around me. I'm doing mm-hmm. good. The evil people are doing bad. They, they're seemingly winning. What's going on, Sa'ak? Right. Um, and, and I think that, that uh, in the Exodus is the first time that it appears in relationship to this idea of empire. But it actually, the first mention that. is at the, at the murder of mm, Abel, yeah, right? And so yeah. if, if that gives you any It was the ground, picture, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the ground is yeah, crying out. Yeah, the ground that Sa'ak'd. In a moment like Dude, fratricide, when there is... When brothers kill brothers, when that sort of evil manifests, it requires sa'ak. And so that when we have um, the Egyptian empire um, oppressing and enslaving peoples, we the people of Israel, sa'ak. they sa'ak, like yeah. the blood of Abel from the ground is forced yeah. to cry out. Yeah. That's so wild. Like, yeah. Killing your brother is so ugly that even, even this inanimate thing called the land yeah. even cries. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so Sa'ak, yeah. So Sa'ak is, is, is what we're introduced to with, with slavery. And so I think what's interesting with, with looking at the Exodus story is you, you see a situation where you have an entire group of people who have created a system Hmm. and it's extremely hierarchical, right? And Mm -hmm. at the, at the top, the pinnacle of this pyramid, if you will, Egypt, (laughs) Egypt. um, at the top of this pyramid, you've got, You've got a, a ruler who has who has been deified either by the people or by himself, has has replaced God with himself, mm-hmm. um, and then so everybody else just kind of falls in place underneath it. And so, 
the Israelites find themselves as, as slaves. And so they cry out because yeah. this is not... This is not the intention of humanity. This is right. not this is not what it's supposed to be like. And what I love even within that as as a framing story kind of for the Jewish identity, the Exodus story is that Sa'ak that they they even refer to as God is like the one who answers, right? right. You are the one who responds. Mm-hmm. Um so Sa'ak is inter- introduced to us in the heart of empire. And so to look at the Exodus story and not not explore um the setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, w- would be would be to totally miss out. It would just stay it would it would allow us to stay really youthful Christians and right. and enjoy the cute little cartoons and, mm-hmm. and the cute little like you know the the Noah floating down the water. I just said Noah Moses floating down the water and yeah. but like to to really explore slavery and right. Sa'ak. And like, why, there's something he, bigger going on. Why was he floating down the water? Oh, yeah, because they were killing dying. babies. I think he's killing people and <laughs> yeah. and and even that like so yeah. you you're a part of a system where the person at the top can. They can make that decree that we're just going to kill a whole bunch of people, and, and you've got people that will follow along with that. Right. That's that's diabolical. That's yeah. empire. Which I mean, to throw yeah. it back on you. Um, so I, I know I love getting my juniors because they've gone through your tenth grade class. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I love asking them, uh, probably weekly, when empire comes up because it comes mm-hmm. up a lot, is okay. What is what did Mister Seals? What's the definition he gives you? Right. And so even that, can we can we jump into that right sure, now? Like, yeah, yeah. And so what what do you tell the kids when you talk about empire? When when we talk about empire, um, the the quick easy definition that I give for them it's what happens when sin becomes systematized. Mm. Um, I think like the the dictionary definition is when there is an extensive group of states or nations um, that has one supreme leader over all of it. Um, But I think it doesn't take much looking to observe that when that sort of power is endowed into a single person or entity, um, that there are systems of oppression and there are systems of evil that sort of surface. And so uh, there may be like an elementary example. I think I might have stolen this from you. So we keep stealing from each other. It's good. Um, Only because I stole it from somebody else smarter. Right. There's nothing new (laughs) under the sun. (laughs) Amen. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Is... Imagine there is a uh, a Hebrew slave, um, and he comes home, um, and he has he has blood running down his back, and his and his little daughter asks, "Dad, why why do you have blood running down your back?" And he says, "Well, we didn't meet our quota today for the mm. amount of bricks we needed to produce." Um, and okay. then she's like, "Well, why why did they have to hit you for that?" And he says, <laughs> "Well, we." They had to hit me because if, if he doesn't beat me, then they believe that maybe I won't understand that I need to work more. And and then if he doesn't beat me and meet his quotas, he has a master above him. Um, and that master above Gosh. him can beat him. Um, and Yuck. Well, what happened? Why, why can't that master just rethink? Well, because um, at the top of this chain of masters is this is this pharaoh. And if he doesn't have this quota, if his empire is not built, then then he won't remain powerful over all of the other nations. And so... There's sort of this with, with empire. It's not just oh, there is a person making bad decisions, no, but there's a, a whole system. system. Yeah. There are different layers and facets that all work together to make it so that this evil almost seems mm. inescapable. Like we have to participate in and, and suffer under it. Yeah, Chris, um, that's not you did not steal that from me, and that that's even just as you're saying it, I'm like picturing that and I'm seeing all of it. I I, I got to jump really quick. Um, how interesting when 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 they're nailing Jesus to the cross mm. that he says, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Right. And and I I often will fill in the blanks there with my students in, in this kind of idea like, like man, these people still think that there's power in beating me, hmm. in, in this, in the whip, in the sword, in the hammer, in the nail. Like 
man, these people still think that that's the way to communicate that I've got power over you. Right. And gosh, it, it started way back then. And even the, like, I think oftentimes Ugh. when we think about nailing Jesus to the cross, it, it's so personal. Like these people are taking it out on Jesus, but I bet some of those Roman soldiers, they're just doing their job. Right. They're like just another right. Jew hanging them to a cross. Like this yeah. is, it's crucifixion Or even day. maybe not fully even, potentially not even fully down for it. But again, yeah, they're, they're going to catch that whip or that sword if, if they don't do their job. Right. right? Yep. Yeah. So it, 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 I, thanks for unpacking that. I mean, even just, even just for me right now, like. Mm. When we say systematize sin, and, and, and I, I think even the word sin, I, I think it's important just to, to realize that it's just mm. this disease. Right. Um, and we, we can get into a whole, you know, theology of sin and talking about it, but I think just for a simple conversation with our students, mm-hmm. um, because in our, in our students' mind, we even talk about sin. It's kind of like this to-do list, right? It's a list right. of do's and don'ts. And, but if we really just kind of talk about, I mean, there's just this disease. Even you angelic kids in here, you've, you've got this disease. You're capable yeah. of, of doing really ugly things to people. Um, usually for the betterment of, betterment of self, right. which is even what we see with, with Pharaoh, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's like you said, it's about him. Like he has to remain in power. He has mm-hmm. to show the other empires around that he's it. And it's yeah. ugly. Yeah. And, and this sin isn't just like, like you were saying, it's not just something that you, like you commit, you break something on the list. Right. But if, if we understand the full beauty of shalom, sin is when we break shalom. Right. Right. It's, right. it's actually a destruction of, of the good that God intended. Yeah. A violation. Yeah. Right. And so empire is sort of the ultimate expression of Ooh. that. It's not just a simple breaking of that good that God intended of those, those harmonious relationships that God wanted us to have with self, him, him, others and creation. But it's when we take that brokenness and we, and we build on it, yeah. right? We make a, a system out of that sort of brokenness. And, and literally Built, yeah, right. Like, 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 physically building these empires, and yeah. Um, yeah, like that empire of Egypt was built on the back of of slaves. On the right. back, it, it came at the expense of shalom between human beings. Yeah, and so um, I love this idea of back to Sa'ak that that God does respond. Yeah, um, and, and I, I think one of the things that's important there's there's a takeaway there that God is not endorsing. Um, and, and we could probably look just maybe at first glance and just say, well, you know, there's false gods and we can get into that whole kind of yeah. that issue. But I, I think that there's something bigger than that. Like mm-hmm. God actually cares about his people. Yeah. Um, and, and so does not want them participating in this particular style of, of, of I don't know, the system. Students were asked what comes to mind when they hear the word empire studying Romans, like, I just think of, like, like, Rome in their old ways, in their ways, and then, like, now, in our, and, like, our whole system going on, that's what I think of empire. Okay, and if you had to describe empire to somebody who asked, how would you describe empire? Systemized sin. <laughs> um, when I hear the word empire, I probably think of a corrupt nation of some kind that probably had, or has a leader that has been chosen by a certain group of people, but not by all people. And the leader probably goes by his own way, and it really isn't as much of a democracy. It's more of a dictatorship. Destruction. <laughs> um, like, in today's society, just like seeing, or like going back in history, and then like seeing how some events are being like recreated from the past. Um, just necessarily like the faults that we all have as people and like coming together and like knowing that what we do and what we say and like how we feel can be deceitful.
Christian school context, oftentimes um, yeah. kids, I find that the vast majority of my students don't understand empire is because, because they're totally blind to it. Now, right. there's, there's always the exceptions, right? Because in Christian schools, mo- a lot of the students oftentimes are affluent and they come from middle to upper class families. Yeah. Um, and so they might not quite get this, but there are always a couple in the class that they say, yeah, I know what... I get what yeah, systemized. I get, I get, I get where you're going. I get the cycles and the. Yeah. I get what this looks like. I love like. having those students. Yeah. Um, for the ones that don't, mm-hmm. um, and we, uh, I definitely in, in my first couple years of teaching um, thought you know the best teaching strategy was to kind of punch kids, uh, <laughs> and I don't mean that physically, <laughs> yes. but but to just like throw up this information on them right. um, as opposed to maybe slowly allow them to see it. Which is really cool because I, I think the authors of scripture even did that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if necessarily if it was slowly intentional, but mm-hmm. where you just see this progression, mm-hmm. uh, the history of Israel, it really is a history of of empire after empire after right. empire. And, and then even in the midst of that, their, their own trajectory, they, they themselves becoming empire. Um, right. And so I know one of the things that we do, and, and um, um, Bell has this book that he put out some years back, um, where he talked about kind of that trajectory of, of mm. kind of empire and kingdom. And he, and that, he, um, Jesus wants, Jesus to, wants save to save Christians. Christians. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's this really wonderful book, just kind of getting Christians back um, into understanding maybe some of the, the narratives in Scripture that maybe mm. if you've grown up in the Christian culture, you know, we, we focus on the Jesus narrative, which, which isn't bad, but there's a lot of other stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things he shows in there is how um, God responds. He, 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 he gets them out of empire and then really spends this incredible amount of time all throughout the Torah, um, really, the term I use with my students is, is brainwashing the mm-hmm. Israelites. But And I mean that in the cleanest sense, that he's um, uh, cleaning off this old slave mentality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you see it manifest, like, the, their first complaint in the story when they get into the wilderness, after all this, like, amazing things that I'm sure most of us have prayed, like, God, if you would just part the seas, then I could believe in you. Like, so yeah. they just see all these crazy things. And then they get into the wilderness. And they're like, "Oh my goodness, we're hungry!" And they, they sound like these little brats. But mm. I think it exposes like this slave mentality. They're they're so a part of that system, they don't right. even know how to take care of themselves, right? Yeah. And so and so you you get fast forward where God is 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 teaching them and molding them and saying, "Hey, I'm I'm going to take you as a nation and put you into a land and and be careful, yeah. be careful when you get there because the temptation is that you are going to go back into empire because that's what you know. It seems mm-hmm. to be innate because of this disease in us." Um, it's what you know maybe culturally because you're, you're looking around at all the other people around you. And there's all these warnings really mm-hmm. um, all throughout Torah like, hey, don't forget me. Don't forget that yeah. I, I'm the one that saved you. I'm the one that provided food for you. Like you don't need a, a king. You don't need this like ruler right, to, to lord over you. But I, I, could, I could be at the center of this. Right. And, and if you look through the end of the book of Deuteronomy, the, the word that continually go, comes over and over again is remember. That's it. Right? That's it. Remember. Don't forget. Don't yeah. forget. Remember. I mean, even the Shema, like when, when you're called to, to, to pray this, like, you know, the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, immediately after that, you get these instructions to impress it on your children, to talk about it, talk about it all the time. Don't forget. Um, this idea of, of, of pasting that to your, or not, maybe not pasting, right. but tying it, you know, to your forehead, you know, keeping it at the forefront of your mind, mm-hmm. tying this, this idea of Shema to your hands so that it's, it's influencing your actions. Like he knows we're prone to, to, to forget him. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, but he also wants us to inform the next generation, right? To always do these things so that you're telling them so they can remember who, who Yahweh is, who, right. who this God is, that he's the God that answers Sa'ak. And he did that so that we don't, he, he's, he's shedding us Mm-hmm. Right, he, he's or not shedding. He's saving us from that 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 mentality of empire mentality, and the warning that we get. And I love that that uh, it's in that book 
um, it, God actually even tells him, like, you, you might ask for a king someday, and you really don't want one because the king will, you know, take your wives as, as or take your daughters as wives, and he's going to take your money for taxes, and he's going to send your young men to war. Like, you don't, really don't want a king, but if and when you actually do, like, he gives these requirements, and they're so, I loved, I did this assignment with my students. So before we even introduce it, I say, guys, when you think of king, what are some things that, that come up? And, you know, it's like powerful and regal and... And lots of military power. Yeah, power and, and sexy, and yeah. I, I don't know if they say sexy, but um, you have all this, all this stuff going on, and so then I'm like, well, let's, let's look at Deuteronomy, and so God, God gives these requirements, and it's like, the first one no one argues with, you know, he has to be an Israelite, I think that's even the requirement here in our country right, for president, yeah. mm-hmm. um, as long as they, yeah. And uh, so he, he says you have to be Israelite, but then from there it gets really weird. He's like, you can't have a lot of money, and you can't mm-hmm. have a lot of wives. You can't consider yourself better than your fellow Israelites. Yeah, you have to be humble. You have to write down a copy of the law and meditate on it daily. Um, you, you can't acquire a lot of horses, and then you have almost parenthetically there, like, Don't. specifically do not go back to Egypt right. to get these horses. And we could say, okay, Egypt, they probably had a lot of good horses and chariots because they'd been empire for a while, but, but I think the, the subtext there is... You know empire. Don't go back. Don't go back. Yeah. And what's, we have some fun. And the kids, you know, you'll get the kid who will, like, raise their hand. Well, you know, they want to equivocate, right? So, so what's, what's too much money? And right. what, what, how many are too many wives? And, you know, we, we have some fun jokes and we explore. But it, it doesn't take long in the narrative. We, we get to the, the third king of Israel. When they finally do, they get that crazy period of judges and the split and this and that. And they finally get these kings. And the third king of Israel to- totally... Um, just blows it. And, right. it, and it's, I'm talking about King Solomon. And even there, like with my students, I, I remind them like, so what, what do you, or I, know, I ask them, what, what do you guys know about Solomon? And, and usually if you've grown up in Christian culture, again, you know, this, the kind of fun little like artsy fart, not artsy fartsy, but like the cute little like cartoon narrative that we so often get. Solomon is the wise, the wisest king in the world. And maybe they know about his temple. Yeah. And then you get into the text and find out he had a lot of wives. Do, do you mm-hmm. remember how many wives? I don't remember. I think between the wives and the sex slaves, it totaled 900 and something. So 700 wives, 300 concubines, oh, or yeah. my students like to say um, side women. Side women, yes. Or they say something different. Um, it, it said that he made silver so common in Israel that it was like like rocks. Like, ugh, mm. get that silver. Don't let that silver touch me. Yeah. Um, it said that he, he had 666 talents of gold in interest, Yeah. which, uh, you know, maybe we can get into those, those it's a, ideas. It's a fun number, yeah. Um, but, but think about this. If, if this was, imagine if this was the description of, like, the modern American presidency. There it is. That, there it is. That silver is as common as rocks. Like, mm. doesn't this sound like, oh, prosperity, this is good. But mm. then this actually is setting the stage for, like, the, some of the darkest days of It Israel. is, it is. And, and I think we're, we're, we're called to, to, to learn from that. I mean, mm-hmm. Solomon is there so we can learn from him. I mean, the way of... So here's the wisest man in Israel at the time, supposedly, and this is the decisions he made. And then on top of that, with the wives, he brought, he brought women in who he was willing, be, because of his love for women, to build altars and, and temples to other gods. Mm. And so you really kind of have this, like, God starts feeling cheated on, and you get a lot of that through the prophets. Right. Um, but one of the other things that you see there is he buys a lot of horses and chariots, and he specifically goes to Egypt to get them. Right. And on top of it, my man becomes Tony Stark. He starts selling, right? He's like, mm. he's a weapons dealer, because now King Solomon is the business of, of transporting these, these things from Egypt and selling them to his neighbors. Right. Over, I'm not going to say overnight, but, but in a matter of one generation, they have become empire. Right. And then to top it off, 
he builds this temple to the Lord, the, the temple of the, of, of the Lord who answered the sa'ak of the slaves, and he builds it using slave labor at times. <laughs> yeah. And, and so Israel decides to play empire, and so inevitably, when you play empire, you get mm-hmm. empire. Yep. And you can only, like, we always use it in my class, we talk about like, like in boxing, like who gets to wear the belt? Well, the guy who wins. Yeah. And so as soon as you got that belt, there's all these young bucks looking for you and analyzing your game and how you're going to do it. And eventually you're going to get taken out. And it's not long before Babylon comes in. And so you, you get this kind of start of empire and kingdom. And it's just you follow the trajectory, Babylon and Persia, and you fast mm. forward and get you get all the way up to, to the Roman context where, where here's Jesus again in the same context talking about these things like here we are once again, mm-hmm. you know, occupy we're in occupied land, we're this and that. And what I help the students is with that assignment, we get to the end and we say, where do you see it today? Mm. So instead of me just saying like. You guys, you guys know you live in empire, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know you're an empire. Um, you allow them to see it and the effects of it. And this is actually where we introduce even the concept of modern-day slavery right. and allow the students to kind of see that. But, but to allow them to come to that conclusion that, oh, my gosh, we live in empire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of eye-opening for our kids, yeah. isn't it? And absolutely. And I think maybe before we get into some of these modern aspects of empire, I think something that we should revisit then is so when Jesus shows up on the scene and says the empire of God is here. Like what they're hearing is, yay, we get to be the top dogs again. We get to destroy, someone is going to gut the Romans and kill them. And we're going to have our land back. And we are going to get to be back into the days of Solomon. We will look like King Solomon again, and silver will be in abundance and everyone Mm. will look to us as a world leader and a world power. Um, And so, and payback. Yeah. I think that's a part of it too, right? Like what you've done to us, like, when we're in power, we we will get you back. Yeah, and right? and it's interesting <laughs> after the feeding of the five thousand because one of the messianic expectations or one of the things that Jews thought that the Messiah would do is sort of repeat this manna miracle, like the the bread that comes from heaven. And so Jesus in the feeding of the five thousand, um, in John's account, it says that he after doing this miracle where everybody received bread. Um, the whispers in the crowd start, and mm. maybe this is the Messiah. This is, this is it. Yeah, and of course, they're, I mean, they're waiting. I mean, they're 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 paying over fifty percent in tax in in, mm. in Galilee. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and they're, I mean, everybody's got a story about a, a family member or a close friend who who maybe has been beaten uh, mm. to maybe to death. Maybe one of their friends has been raped. Maybe yeah. a family like so. Everybody is just waiting and longing right. for this. Like, because where, where do you where do you go for hope? In that right, instance, and this right? miracle occurs in Passover, right season, in front of you. Which Passover is the commemoration of overcoming of the, the the Egyptian <laughs> Empire, yeah. right? And so there's these things that They're are motivating so in deep, them. right? And then after at, at the end of the parable, there's a little line, and it says, um, "And they wanted to make him king by force." Hmm. Um, and so this is why I always thought it was weird that after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus sneaks away, right? This is his, his moment. It's shining in the sun and he has to sneak away and not just sneak away because he doesn't want to be popular because he does that sort of enigmatic, weird stuff sometimes. He's Um, an enigma. Yeah. (laughs) But he wants to, he needs to sneak away because they wanted to make him king by force, right? They were saying... It's revolution it's season. It's Let's on. do this. We just got the sign that this is the Messiah. It's time to go kill some Romans, right? Yeah. We, we're going to get... Have you heard that old phrase, pound of, I'm going to get my pound of flesh? I've heard that phrase, but I've never understood it. Oh. 
well, I was hoping you'd know what that means. But th- this payback, yeah. I don't know what it means either, totally. Mm. But it's this payback, Ribeye. right? Like we're, we're about, so not only are we going to get free, but we get payback. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, even that is, is, a, is a super part of, of, of empire. Right. This idea that, that, you know, when you're in power, then you get to use it against others. Right. And if we look closely enough at Jesus's ministry, one of the things, like what you were saying is love is part of this kingdom. And if you yeah. think about the empires of before, in, in Solomon, in Pharaoh, um, in King Darius, um, in Nebuchadnezzar, in all of these, in Nero Caesar, love is not the predominant no. um, trait of these emperors. Um, but Jesus comes on the scene and then starts talking about this love. And he starts saying these things like the ones who want to be the greatest among you need to become servants of mm. everybody. If you want to become my disciple, like the one who's going to be the empire, right. you want to disciple under the emperor, you then you, you need to take up your cross. <laughs> Daily. Right. Yeah. Every day, pick up your torture device and do, be ready to suffer. Do you ever... <sighs> yeah, that's that's part of Jesus I actually don't want to listen to sometimes, right? <laughs> right. Um, sometimes when I'm talking with the students, I know you get to explore the Sermon on the Mount quite often, uh, or quite more than I do. Um, but I, I'm convinced... You know, um, that during the Sermon on the Mount, that again, because of those messianic expectations, because people are showing up thinking like this is war. I'm pretty convinced people are showing up with weapons. Maybe their weapons are, you know, their their garden hose and And this and that. Yeah, and their pitchforks. And maybe they're kind of thinking like the Maccabean uh, revolt again. And, Mm. you know, they show up for this like almost like this like rally, like this revolutionary rally. I can imagine people all jazz and like, oh, yeah, like we're going to kill. We're going to. And Jesus starts with the Beatitudes and he starts saying things like blessed are the meek and, you know, blessed are the the peacemakers, you know. The poor in spirit. Yeah. And and blessed are those you know, those of you who are persecuted, you know, God, God right. bless you. I, I'm convinced that, you know, I'd love to come up with a number or percentage, but I'm convinced people dropped their tools, their weapons and walked away and like, dude, I'm out. Are you? Right. No, we've, we already know this narrative. We're already getting beat up. What you're telling me now, I'm, I'm supposed to like take it on the chin with a mm. smile. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, I think that even that kind of exposes even a bad understanding of the kingdom or at least right. a, a bad and poor understanding of when Jesus has love. Um, we were actually just watching a, a, a sermon in my in my Romans class, and it was uh, from Dr. Tim Mackey, um, one of the co-founders of the Bible Project. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal videos. You should all be using it um, for your own daily bread. But uh, They don't pay us, by the way. No, not we at all. We just like them. No. In fact, I, I think I pay them. But um, <laughs> yeah, so he does this sermon at his church up in Oregon about love for enemy, um, and, and one of the things that he said that really stood out to me, um, you know, kind of twofold, was one, we, we clearly don't understand love in the English language. Mm. Like, you know, the, the word there is actually, you know, agape, which is so different. And, that, and that's a kingdom word. Mm-hmm. That's not an empire word. Um, it, but love is just so limited when we say, like, love your enemy because I can love my pizza, I can love you, I can love my wife. And those right. three things mean differently. So, you know, this idea of agape, needing to understand agape when we talk about kingdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he also said, man, when Jesus said those words, and I, and I, I appreciate you, you mentioning that about empire. Chris, when Jesus said these words at the highest ethic, really in the kingdom, uh, is, is these loving agape relationships. Mm-hmm. When he says that, yeah, you've heard it said, love your, love your neighbor. I'm telling you, love your enemy. Mm-hmm. Dude, everything changed. And I love the way that this pastor put it. It was like, no other human being has ever said anything as crazy and, and so life-changing and radical. I mean, it's a total radical shift mm-hmm. that you're actually calling. And, and nothing's ever actually probably come close other than those who have actually taking Jesus at his word and try to live that out. But, but that idea, I mean, that seems to be the highest ethic of the kingdom. And mm-hmm. for those that did stick around at the Sermon on the Mount, I, I'm convinced that they actually got to get a, a taste and a glimpse yeah. of that kingdom. 
Yeah. How, how do we get our, our students and, 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 and other people to get a glimpse of that and that understanding? What, what do you do? Because you get to spend more time yeah. with kingdom theology in your classroom. Well, I think I think starting with understanding what the kingdom of God is um, yeah. and maybe even defining it, We part of the 10th grade curriculum is they memorize this definition, which is from the late um, Dallas Willard. God bless him. Uh, yeah. Um, he says, the kingdom of God is the range of God's effective will where what God wants done is done. Mm. And even this, this is a wide open definition, right? right? It's yeah. just a blanket statement saying the things that God wants to happen, they will happen. Yeah. Right. And the, the common understanding of what God wants to happen, um, was overthrowing the Roman empire. Um, mm. We were talking the other day um, about Rabbi Nahanya ben Hakana. Um, I, <laughs> yep. I was reading uh, The Meaning of Jesus by N.T. Wright and Marcus Borg. It's this point right counterpoint um, discussion about the historical Jesus. And um, during the Bar Kokhba revolts um, in the second century, there was a, another revolt, another Messiah. Um, Bar Kokhba means son of the star, which is a, a messianic prophecy yeah, yeah. from the book of Numbers. And, and when this fails... Um, Rabbi Nahanya ben Hakana makes this statement that the one who takes on the yoke of Torah, right, one who picks up the, the study and practice of Torah privately, gives up the yoke of worldly care and the yoke of the kingdom. Mm. Um, and N.T. Wright points out the mm. fact that the code word that, that he uses for revolution, for violent revolution, is the kingdom, mm. right? And so I think that if we want to understand the kingdom, we need to understand the heart of God, yeah. right? And I think that this is why we started, the first thing we ever talked about was shalom. Because we, if we, oh, it always goes back to it. Right. That's we, his heart. If we want to know the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is where there are pockets of shalom Amen. breaking out, Amen. right? And, and that's why Jesus, um, it, he says, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. You won't say, look, there it is over here or there it is over there. Um, for the kingdom of God is among you, or even um, some translation, the kingdom of God is within, within you, you, right? This place where the shalom of God can reign, where where Jesus is actually sitting on the throne, where God is sitting on the throne yeah. and shalom is being birthed and, and multiplied, that's the kingdom of God. And so yeah. we, we point to the kingdom by pointing to shalom. Mm. Um, and we point to shalom by giving kids examples of this is what shalom looks like, yeah. right? Yeah, that's good. And this, this can happen on missions trips. This can happen in chapel experiences. It can happen in a, a good conversation after a baseball game. Mm. Uh, but when the, those pockets of shalom happen, we can say, this is the kingdom of God. Yeah, right. which is so interesting too, because right, isn't that how Jesus teaches his disciples and, and by default us how to pray? Which is, we want your will to manifest here amongst us the way right. that it is, where 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 your will works, right? right. Where your will is actually like being done and on so, earth as it is. In yeah, heaven. on earth as it is in heaven, we we want those things that are going on there to manifest amongst us here, um, yeah. and that's that's yeah, allowing us to live in the kingdom. Right. And, and you get that, the, the kind of Christian, I'm not going to call it cliche because it's, it's, you know, just a little short word that we use, but this idea of like already not yet, but the idea that we do get to participate in it actively, but it's not fully here yet. Right. And this right? is why. Because if it was here, then things would be good. Right. We, we wouldn't be talking about half the stuff we're talking about. And this is why we <laughs> have to talk about kingdom versus empire. Right. Right. That, yeah. That's why the systems of sin that exist in this world, the kingdom of God is in conflict with them. And, yeah. and we teach these like meta narrative theories, these like tracing these stories through scripture to tell one big story, not just because it helps them understand what Jesus was about and what his kingdom of God meant to first century Palestinian Jews. But what does the kingdom of God mean today? Because I think that's the pushback. And for the future, right? right? That it's not, it's not just, again, 
pray a prayer and go to heaven. It's like, no, we're actively participating in ushering, ushering in this age of the kingdom. Right. Yeah. I lost my train of thought. That's okay. Uh, it, it got me while we were talking there too. It, it got me thinking um, how the trajectory, how you even get all the way to the book of Revelation. And there, there's all these different ways of, of looking at that, interpreting it. And that would definitely be a few podcasts, I'm sure, that we can discuss how, how we navigate that in class. But at the core of Revelation, one of the things is, are you going to worship the whore or Babylon? And it's interesting, the Jews use that term Babylon to, hmm. to talk about uh, Rome. Like, are you going to worship her or are you going to worship this coming kingdom? And, and so you, just, you have that theme from the beginning of the story all the way to the end where we're still left with an option. Like, which, which one are you going to choose? Like, which, which system do you prefer? Which system are you sold out for? Right. And that, that, I mean, that, that preaches today, mm-hmm. right? Which, yeah. which, which, which empire are you spreading with your actions, right. with your thoughts? And, I, and I, I'm not talking about getting into, you know, like legalism, that kind of idea. But if, if life is intended to be lived out in this idea of shalom, then my actions, my thoughts, am I contributing, participating to empire? Or am I, am I ushering in the kingdom in those little pockets like you're talking about? Students were asked what comes to mind when they hear the word kingdom. Automatically, like the kingdom of God. And then I think of like, if you watch the Bible Project video, just like the red and the blue and the purple, like that middle area, like automatically, like that purple area is what comes like to mind. For sure, a leader chosen by all and um, probably someone who gives boundaries but not boundaries where you don't have, well, where you really have to like perform to your best, where you are kind of free and you have more, I guess, leisure things, you know? Yeah. When I think of the word kingdom, I think of ways to further his kingdom. And by doing that, I think of working with people and showing them the love of Christ and doing this thing called laundry love, where we do the home, we help homeless people do their laundry and we pray with them and we help them and we hang out with them and treat them like they're real people like they are. Um, I think of uh, like a peaceful environment, um, something that is um, a very, uh, something of like a fair ruling, fair judgment um, just for everyone and something that um, just brings like a calm and like um, serene just atmosphere to um, everyone's like life. So like we're all at comfort and you know, we don't, we're not really like, we don't need any more answers because everything's being fulfilled for us. And I think that it's really easy. The temptation here, as someone who grew up as um, in, in the, I don't want to say it's a Baptist thing, but I guess in, in modern evangelicalism. You like grew up in the Bible Belt, but in California. Yes. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's funny because um, I think the church I grew up in, um, a lot of people were actually from the Midwest. Yeah. Um, but in California. Me. That makes a lot more yeah. sense now. Um, but as a result of that, I learned a lot of the Bible, yeah. which was really yeah, helpful. Yeah, for sure. Totally. Um, but I think that one of the temptations when having this discussion is to say, okay, so how do we spiritualize this? How do we take this idea and then make <laughs> it about um, the kingdom of God is about like doing the right thing and not right. doing the wrong thing. Yeah. Re- Instantly jump into application and what right. does it mean for me? And boiling it down into a therapeutic moralistic deism. How do I be a good Ooh, boy? Unpack that. I love that phrase. Unpack 
like that. We haven't said that before. Well, no. it, yeah, it's this well, idea. In class of, we do. Yeah, and so in uh, in the church, we aren't teaching the kingdom. We're not teaching Christianity. Oftentimes, what we're teaching is, especially in youth ministry, how do we make good boys and girls be good boys and girls? Yeah. Um, and the way that we enforce it is we say the word God often when mm. telling them to be good boys and girls. Almost um, like the elf on his shelf. Right. And Ugh. we and we give them evidence for why it's a good idea. Yeah. Um, so the therapeutic, it'll be better for you if you're good, moralistic, be good, deism. There is a God, but he is not active. He's not doing yeah. anything here in real space and time. I don't hear any shalom in that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think the temptation is to jump to that, whereas I think what we actually get in Scripture is they crucified Jesus, yeah. not just to pay for our sin bills um, and to mm. redeem us, but they crucified Jesus because he was a social revolutionary, yeah. Yeah. right? Because the things that he preached had ramifications for the Roman Empire. They had ramifications for the way that that Jews treated Syrophoenician women. Right. Um, that There are actual political elements to this. And it's not just the top, right? right? It's not just the top. I love that you mentioned that like with the Jews. Like It's not just the top. It's everybody where they're using power in such a way that, they're, that it is for selfish gain, and it's at the expense of somebody else. Right. And so for an American Christian school student, I mean— like it's it's always nice to point them to other places in the world where there are Christians being persecuted, um, where they are under oppression and have to meet behind closed doors. Right. Um, and so definitely, I think empire, there's systematized sin in those um, areas. My parents went on a, mis- a missions trip recently to a Southeast Asian country. I don't want to give them up. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, they were talking to people who had converted to Christianity, and it essentially meant they probably, they got ostracized. Probably, yeah, yeah, they could, are going to get killed, and yeah. they either they got killed or they had to find a new home. Yeah. Their their so village like the leader. first century church in Rome, exactly. Yeah, yeah. interesting. <laughs> so so those types of empires still exist, sort of in in smaller forms, um, but technically that. I mean, it is a system of sin, but yeah. it, it is not spanning multiple states and governments. Um, but I think that there are. I mean, depending on how we want to approach this, if, if we think about things like one of the examples we talk about in class often is sweatshops. Yeah, that's, um, that's a hot button for me. Yes, and it oftentimes <laughs> has, um, when we talk about sweatshops, we mean there are factories with poor conditions that are employing people, oftentimes using exploitative laws and practices so that people are essentially in slavery, whether yep. it's through debt bondage or some form of indentured servitude, um, the things that we get for cheap at X and Y store um, come, come at an expense. They come at an expense. At the, yeah, at human human flesh. Right, exactly. And, 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 and uh, this, these things, because we live in a globalized world, these things come from across the world. Yeah. And uh, out of sight, the, out of mind. The pushback that I get is probably the same sort of pushback that maybe some of the the Jews under Rome would say is, mm. okay, if I revolt, what difference is it going to make? Yeah. I'll kill one Roman, and then Rome's still going to be right. here. What, what, what can I do? Right. I buy one more expensive T-shirt, what's going to happen? Mm. Right? Is this actually going to make a difference? Yeah. Um, so I think even before getting to the making a difference, though, is getting them to realize, okay, they are purchasing or they are working in these conditions because there's demand for that. There's demand for that because we want things that are cheap. Um, and yeah, and spiral, spiral, right, and, and spiral. It's sort of the chicken or the egg, right? And when you are asking those questions of what is the way to change this whole thing, like you know, you're talking about empire yeah. because it's this system. It's a and it, 
And I love that because it reinforces that it's a system. Mm-hmm. And like, like it's okay. I let them sit in that. I mean, I, I've been sitting in it for over a decade, right? Right. Like, it's it's okay to feel like, yeah, this seems like a daunting task. Yeah. Which is probably why when Jesus talks about the kingdom, he talks about these really small little acts of like mustard seed kind of issues and, right. and yeast that you can't even see. And so that, I mean, he even tells us right from the get go, like. No, these are small little acts, and you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna catch flack, and you might die for it. Um, but but they're small little acts, and it makes me think of Mother Teresa. Right? We there cannot do any great things. Yeah. We can only do small things with great love. Amen. Right? Yeah. And even and even we talk about the idea in my class, like the the uh, the power of partial solutions. Like um, sometimes we see it, especially in America, we we just see kind of things everything as a zero sum game, and so um, mm. sometimes when we look at like tackling the empire or spreading the kingdom because we think we can't or we can only do like a, a half butt job right. and we assume we just shouldn't at all, which is yeah. really kind of a defeatist mentality. Right. Uh, and then and then on top of it, like it exposes like do we actually trust? Do we trust God? Do we trust right. Jesus' message? Do we trust him when he says it's better that he leaves so that we can have his his spirit? You know, like right. like um do we trust him in that? And and I think that exposes a lot, which is that has to be exposed probably before the student can grow, before we can grow right. and actually trust God and, and join him in this kingdom work. And I think right? trust is such a key Dude, so component big. because um, I think there was a while ago, I think maybe seven or eight years ago, I was really into like reading up on economic theory and I, <laughs> I had my anarcho-capitalist friends and we yeah. were talking about what is the best potential system um, for the distribution of goods um, and services across the world and um, reading up on markets and like maybe even some of Marx, Marx's critiques of markets. Um, I, I would always, I remember looking at it from what is the best possible system um, that would work? What was the um, criteria for best? Exactly. Like, was it right? Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The, so <laughs> that's the, the point. Yeah. The, the problem is that in the best for the possible, stockholder, right? <laughs> yeah. The best possible system, um, you end up making these egregious compromises. Mm. Like, and so therefore, it, that's why we have to have slaves in yeah. in workshops yeah, we in get, Thailand. Yeah, and even like we explored this in class recently, right? In business, we just call it externalities. Like we don't even call it like right. you know human capital. No, this is the cost of doing business. Like it's going to come at the expense of the earth. Right. Shalom. It's going to come at the expense of human capital. Shalom. Like Mm -hmm. constantly we are, um, yeah, we're handing over bits and pieces and aspects of shalom feeling like it's the only compromise that we can do, right? right. And, right? and I think that... Like, what else are we going to do? You, can you name... I mean, especially in this country, you, you can't talk about capitalism. Right. right. It's like its own religion here. And so mm-hmm. you even start talking about alternative systems, mm-hmm. and we automatically... I mean, you, you know, I've, I've been labeled a commie. I don't, I don't know right. about you, as if that's a bad word, too. Well, and realistically, <laughs> I would say that the system that we work under technically isn't like the purest form of capitalism. It's probably technically fascism, which is a wedding of corporate powers Ooh. in the state. Um, We're which tweets from our nine followers. <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> well, I mean, let, like if fascism is a w- wedding of corporate powers in the state, like then, I mean, the Federal Let's Reserve is a, is a corporate right. entity. Totally, right? totally. Um, but and on the flip side, though, I am not a really big fan of communism. I, my, I totally, remember arguing right? with... I, I argued all year last year with a student that I was in this mentorship relationship with, he's and smart. and he he's <laughs> probably smarter than us. He should yeah. make a podcast. I'm yeah, like, we communism have him as a guest. is Christian, um, but 
Um, all that to say, even if you look at communism and all the times that humans have tried to work out this ideal, this uh, this communist, whether it's Leninist or Stalinist right. or um, Trotsky or <laughs> the pure Marxist yeah. or whatever it is, it ends it up creating work. some some pretty bad repercussions. Yeah. Now, like someone argue and be like, well, there's these small pockets in the Ukraine that worked. But sure. um, when the ideal is something other than the kingdom of God, when That's the it. ideal is something other than shalom. Um, we're we always going to fall short. Yeah. And if, if we're fixing the system and not actually transforming people um, within the system, yeah. um, then we're going to have issues. Yeah, and I think one of the things that you said there that caught my, got my attention just a second ago was like all these people have tried all these different systems. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, we see that from the get-go in mm-hmm. even Genesis 1 through 11, even with, with Babel and some other stuff. Like it's people trying new systems right? as opposed to, like he said in Deuteronomy, don't forget me. You want to create a system? If I'm at the center, if you take my ethic, my morality, right, Um, my my definitions, maybe that's a better way to put it, right? Like my definitions, then this thing can work. Mm -hmm. Um, We we can have buildings. We we can have commerce. We can have transportation and and, and we we can have all this. But but if if we're allowing the the creator actually to define those things, which again, we get that right in the beginning in Shalom, then Mm it seems like those things could actually flourish. Right. And, 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 but everybody could flourish. Yeah. And I, I think that's, and it's really interesting too, because when we bring that, that, that topic up and we do the, we do a slavery project in my class, um, you know, none of, none of my students, even the ones pushing back, hmm. you know, none of my students want to enslave people. Right. N- none of us, I mean, unless you're just that diabolical, like right. none of us want to go and buy a shirt, like, can I buy the shirt, where, you know, that has the most blood attached to it? Like, no right. one does that. But how interesting that because, again, and I think it's because we, we've lost our imagination, our creativity. Mm. We've lost touch, I think, with the Spirit of God. We automatically just say, well, it seems to be the best system, so it is what it is, and we will do whatever it takes to justify. Right. What, what kind of pushback have you got? I'm just curious. Um, from when you do tell kids, well, before, when, you, when they come to the conclusion that this is empire, or did you have something else? Or? Well, I was just saying, like, yeah. the one word that you mentioned in that last spiel was the word um, creativity, which I think that as educators, I mean, the job of our job in the classroom, not even just as Bible teachers is to, is to hopefully train these kids how to think and not just think critically, but um, be creative. Um, Sir, Sir Ken Robinson has this Ted talk where he talks about how the the education system slowly breeds creativity out of kids. And I think that. Yeah, right. We we the uh, reason you we guys do this, pay for it. I know. Um, and the reason we do this is because we think that creativity is this loosey goosey, like splattering paint on a wall and calling right. it. It's art immature, thing, right? right? It's not. It's not realistic, right? But creativity actually is is taking discipline. Yeah. Um, taking real skills and disciplines and studying and learning how to paint well and learning right. how to engineer well, but then taking real problems from the world and applying those yeah. skills and something new is birthed. Right. And so, yeah. And watching and harnessing that, that power and watching it grow and, and seeing it turn into something different right. that inspires other people. Like it has, it even has almost like it's a virus, but like in the most beautiful sense, right? Like mm-hmm. it seems like when we're creative, we actually unintentionally inspire others to be creative as well. And mm-hmm. I mean, we, we talk about God as creator. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> so why wouldn't we tap into that creative power of his? Yeah. And so to answer your question, the way that when I get pushback from kids that yeah. say, it's just not possible. Like, we're not empire. No, we're the U.S. We're right. And, and we get that every year. Right. And well, I think it's not even just that they are denying empire, but they'll just say, well, someone has to be empire. Mm, right. Someone, that might even be. Yeah. That's probably a better question. Right. Someone has to be empire. Evil's a reality. So it better. It should just be like the, the least evil of evils. 
right? I even mentioned this. I I had a conversation with some of my students the other day, um, just talking about like violence um, and uh, like the use of violence to try to propagate good in the world. And we were talking about um, the number of military bases in the world and. they were one of the things that they were saying, and by the way, I'm not trying to like push any agenda on them, but I'm just saying, okay, here are some facts that oh. we just talked about empire. Um, so here so are the, some facts of empire. Right. I mean, we have right. the facts of Solomon. We know how many horses he had and how many wives. Like we, we can, we're not afraid of facts. Right. And so, <laughs> so at the end of this conversation, when he, fi- when one of the students finally admitted, okay, yeah, but it was like this begrudging under his breath, but like better us than anyone else. Right. Mm. Like imagine which if, is, which is, that makes sense mm-hmm. if that's your system. Right. Because it, I mean, we were saying better that we have power than they have power. Yeah. So, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and it's sort of... Because we can be trusted with it. Exactly. <laughs> right. And I mean, as idealistic as this is, because I think that if, if we're speaking purely pragmatically, that that may be true. Right. If we look at like different governing systems across the world and mm-hmm. we we're like, this person is most qualified. Denmark. Sure. Denmark should have the most military bases in the world. Or I was thinking um, New Zealand. New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, Flight of the Concords. They'll yes. laugh us into peace. Yes. Um, but but either way, when when we are making those sorts of compromises, we're still giving in to empire. We're giving in. And so I think that the way that we remedy this, or, or at least the way that I've helped kids to sort of grasp this idea of, okay, if we want to belong to the kingdom of God, we don't use the, the weapons of empire, mm, right? Dear. Whether, whether I, it is monetary <laughs> weapons or if it is governmental weapons or if it's weapons of violence or weapons of coercion or weapons this of whatever. This is where I get called a, a Jesus hippie or I get called a commie. Right. But then I think the most helpful thing is instead of saying shalom or instead of right, saying the right, kingdom right, again, right. Um, saying here's a story of a person that did X, mm. right? Um, I, I love reading stories of Shane Claiborne and the yeah, things that he was able dude, to do in a, in a neighborhood in Philadelphia right. or Martin Luther King Jr. in the South, right? Um, without, without firing a shot, um, was able to, to change American policy and politics. Um, I've got a, a quote of his later I'd love to read. Go for it um, now. We're talking about a him. longer one. We, we just did this in class. Um, we're, we're going over different um, kind of views on war and Christians' views on war. And as I presented the pacifist uh, view, um, because, again, Jesus isn't saying when he says love your enemy, have, have warm feelings. He's not saying be soft and be a doormat and just keep on turning your face and letting people give you licks. Mm-hmm. But there's something deeper, that, again, this, this higher ethic of agape, which, which really can only come from the kingdom, like the only, the yeah. only inspiration. And I'm, I'm convinced that MLK got it. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, can I, can I read the, uh, the students? These are with my ninth graders, and I had kids crying, um, probably because of my smooth voice. But um, So here's MLK. Uh, we shall match your capacity. Uh, I'm sorry, let me, let me, let me back up. Oh, yeah, that's it. We shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. We will meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will, and we will still love you. We cannot in all good conscience obey your unjust laws and abide by the unjust system, because non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as it is, as is cooperation with good. So throw us in jail, and we'll still love you. Bomb our homes and threaten our children, and as difficult as it is, we will still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our communities at the midnight hour and drag us out on some wayside road and leave us half dead as you beat us, and we will still love you. Send your propaganda agents around the country and make it appear that we are not fit culturally and otherwise for integration. 
but we'll still love you. But be assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. And one day we will win our freedom. We will not only win freedom for ourselves, we will also appeal to your heart and conscience that we will win you in the process and our victory will be a double victory. That's crazy. Because again, back to risk, back to empire, back to any of our games, the surest way to get rid of an enemy is is a headshot. No scope if you're if you're pretty, you know, BA. But but (laughs) but here's here's Martin Luther King. That was one of his quotes, right? The surest way to get rid of an enemy is make him a friend. Here's here's Martin Luther King realizing that agape, love is not just take it. You know, shalom is not this little just peace, let's hang out with the trees until Jesus comes back. No, it's looking the other person saying looking in the face and saying, I'm not going to be a part of the system that says I'm going to punch you back that I'm stronger than you, I have more power than you, but I'm going to recognize you have a disease and you're acting out of that disease. And so my battle, like the Apostle Paul says, is not against you. My battle's not against the flesh of this person with the sword or with the gun. My battle is against this darkness that resides in all of us. And eventually, eventually, maybe it's by the amount of heads that get, that get cut, chopped off or the amount of blood that flows, but eventually, not only will we win that freedom, but we'll also break those chains so that you too can see that the system you've been participating is not good. It's not one that lines up with shalom. I feel like I just preached right there, by the way. Bro, I'm like, I'm ready to go. You got another 40 minutes? No, never, never mind. Okay. Um, but MLK, bro, I really like him. You <laughs> yeah. know, like that. What a quote. Yeah. That's agape. Yeah. That's agape. We're not going to participate in, in this in this game anymore. Yeah. I agree. What do you do with that quote, bro? Well, like, I, that, that, yeah, that'll preach, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I think so. And I think that um, all of this, I feel like I'm, I'm channeling <laughs> students and I'm channeling, well, even a part yeah, of me, right? Yeah. That, that would say that's really beautiful and idealistic. But. But. Yep. Where is, is that actually, is that actually going to work? Um, and not even, is it going to work, but is that even good for Christianity? Because what that means, I mean, I feel like I've heard this before from students is what that means is Christians get killed and then Christianity's not going to grow because we're going to keep dying. Um, and I believe but it's Tertullian who yeah. said <laughs> that it, it is the blood of That's the right. martyrs right. that is the seeds of the kingdom. That's right. For every um, head that rolls, it's like yeah. another seed. And I, and I don't say that, you know, with a smile or, you know, I, I don't want that on anybody. Right. You know, and, I don't, but, but. But that's the reality. And the first century church knew that. Right. And, and I, I think instead of just saying platitudes, like if you look statistically mm. at well, as well, in, in the modern era, the, the places where, there are the, where Christians are at the center of power in governmental structures where perhaps there are, where there are probably systems of oppression taking place, um, those are the places typically where Christianity is declining. Um, I, there's an infographic from a Pew study um, in two, 2013, which looked at the percentage of Christians in a country in 1970 and compared it to the projected number of Christians based on the growth rates over, over this time up to 2020. I mean, the top eight um, are Nepal is number one, number two, China, number three, United Arab Emirates, number four, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Oman, Yemen, and Mongolia. Where is the Christian nation of exactly. the U.S.? Exactly. And, <laughs> right? that it, and those are the fastest growing Christian populations. And note what that do they have in common? That <laughs> most of them are undergoing oppression, whether yeah. it's from, yeah. um, from anti-religious governments or if it's from Islamic pressures or even um, Buddhist or, um, or Hindu pressures – where, where people are being oppressed, these are the places that the blood of the martyrs is growing the kingdom, yeah. right? And and I think that it's That's not... so heavy, dude. And, and I think it's not just counter... I feel like it'd be fun just to be like, this is a weird paradox. But I think it, the paradox is rooted in reality that we, who are comfortable, have to make 
intellectual compromises with the gospel in order to stay, stay comfortable. comfortable. Gosh, um, I feel like we need a really long dramatic pause there. Chris, that's heavy. Right. And in these other places, <laughs> <There> was. <laughs> that was the dramatic pause. And in these other places, um, they're, they're dying for the gospel. And so it's really easy for them to see, right? That I, yeah. I'm not going to make these compromises because, it, because I, I'm because reading what Jesus said. You yeah. just summarized the book of Revelation again. Hmm. The yeah. early church was, was feeling compromised to, to revert back to Judaism because it was a legal religion. They were feeling the compromise to worship Caesar. Yeah. Uh, and and here's, here's John, the author, saying, don't do it. Yeah. In fact, I mean, there's even this kind of crazy language in there where he like, literally says, like, pull out before right. you impregnate the, the, that system, right. before you're so entrenched in it that you don't even know where you are anymore. Right. And don't worry. There's this other kingdom. And you know what? If it costs you your neck... If it costs you your blood, it is worth it, right? This, mm-hmm. the, it is worth it. And I, I think of the bystander. I think of the bystander that watches under pressure, under threatening of death. I think of that bystander that's watching the Christian who says, no, because of, because of my duty and allegiance to the kingdom first, I cannot participate in your, in your system. I cannot fight back. I cannot raise my hand to you, my sword yeah. to you, my gun to you. Um, that bystander watching is seeing the gospel lived out, not just hearing it, not just hearing the words, but they're seeing the gospel lived out. And they're actually seeing that there is this third option. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you don't have to fight back because you're going to get owned, right? Jesus says, you want to play, play with the sword, live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword, idiot. I don't... Sometimes Jesus calls me an idiot. I don't know about you. When I read it, I, I find idiots and, you know, dork and this and that. But then also, like, this idea of just running away, like, that doesn't fix anything. Like, you can't be the salt and the light if you run away. And so when, when we stand up to oppression, mm-hmm. injustice, when we look it in the face and say, I will not participate, and even I'm, I'm going to choose to love you, I'm going to choose agape in that situation and say, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Well, of course it's growing, right? Because right. everybody else around is like, they're already hopeless. They're like, well, I was going to run away, but I'll get caught. And this other guy's like, well, I was going to fight, but I know I'm going to die. And this one's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to die for this, right? right? I'm going to live for this. Of course it's going to grow. Yeah. Of course it's going to grow. Yeah. And I, I think that when we talk to our students, <laughs> when we talk to our students who are thinking about, okay, well, what does this look like for me who is living the, the comfortable. comfortable suburban life? What does it look like for me to stand up for kingdom instead we of We should empire? go rush out and put ourselves in harm's way. Right, exactly. In traffic, preferably, because I think that'll send a good message. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. how do we do that? How do we encourage them? How, yeah. do, we, how, do, we, how do we get them? I think, I think one thing that it, it seems like you do well is um, inviting kids into opportunities that might be just a little bit beyond their comfort zone. Just a little. Um, such as um, this, the laundry love yeah. ministry that you yeah. run where you get to um, do laundry for homeless people. And most of these students, their interaction with homeless people is either ignoring them, right. um, giving them a dollar and running away quickly. Right. Or not giving them money because they want the Big Mac or the, the latte. Right. right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so um, these little experiences where they get to see the humanity in, mm. in a homeless person, ask their name and, and maybe walk with them for yeah, a little bit. Um, or maybe it's taking them on a missions trip to get them to see, okay, this is what's going on other parts of the yeah. world, and this is um, how the cup of coffee that you get from unnamed coffee company um, <laughs> <laughs> may be oppressing people yeah. in Guatemala. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's giving them tastes of what it looks like to stand up to the kingdom so that when they graduate, mm. not even when they graduate and get to their careers, but when they choose their careers, they make kingdom-minded choices. That's and, it. and what we don't need is another... We don't need more 
preachers and Bible scholars. Thank you. Right? Oh the, my goodness. It, our our job as Bible teachers is hopefully not to get a bunch of people to go into Bible school. Yeah. Um, because what we need is people who have caught this vision for the kingdom oh to become gosh. engineers. That's it. And I love you. That's and make it. robots That's it. that That's disarm it. minds. That's it. Right. That's it. That's totally it. And they can make the robots by um, teaching other people who otherwise maybe wouldn't have the opportunity to go to school. And they can teach them and they can give them uh, their dignity back and they can earn money. And Mm -hmm. Chris, in the beginning when I was doing a lot of these mission trips and and, and, we've been able to do some of these things together – I don't think I was very forthright. And now I just, I tell students, I tell parents, like, here is my goal of taking you to Guatemala with me. I want you to see that there are real issues in the world. I don't want you to feel sorry for them. I don't want you to feel pity. I don't want you to think that you're taking Jesus somewhere where he's not already at work, like putting things back together. What I want you to do is to see real world problems and then recognize you're the top one, two, three percent. Like you get to go to college. That's a big deal. Like we we take that for granted here in the U.S. and that's a whole other episode too, maybe, but, but. Come back and study something worthwhile right. because the kingdom of God needs professionals. We have a lot of people who are passionate who suck at things. Yeah. We have a lot of passionate like youth workers and 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 and, and uh, well, I don't want I don't want pigeonholing, but we have a lot of passionate people who are doing things that maybe they don't have the skill for it. Right. What we need is professional people. We need yes, the engineers, the architects. How about low cost housing for people? Like this idea that someone shouldn't like doesn't have a house is silly in, yeah. in 2017. So what about low cost ways of doing that? Right. Um, and and. Yeah, so so when I tell my kids, you're coming to Guatemala so that you can learn how to be a part of the solution. Right. And then you live in Southern California. You get to choose. Do you, do you want to be altruistic or do you want to be selfish? You know what right. selfish looks yeah. like. Look around. And some of the students, I mean, I feel like one of our senior projects is students get to choose their career and they have to build a budget yeah. and like real life skills. Um, but a lot of them choose doctor. Right. Um, and the reason they choose doctor is because they want the Maserati and the That's big right. house and they want to have to not worry about savings. Um, and so... It doesn't mean don't like give up your dream of being a doctor, but maybe look at your reason for why you want to be a yeah. doctor. Yeah, and if, what are you going to do with the money? Like, do you really? I, I was in Cuba, man, over a decade ago, and I remember sitting with a guy. Um, his name was Tata, and he was asking us like, hey, you know, so what kind of house do you have, and this and that. And so, you know, my buddy's like, yeah, you know, we, we have like like a three bedroom house. You know, it's kind of modest for here. And he's like, wow, three bedroom, that's big. He goes, I only have one bed in my house. Do, do you sleep better than I do? Hmm. And I love that stuck with me, right? Because it's yeah. like, no, I don't actually need more stuff. And yeah. so if I do have the high-earning job, what does it look like to have a high-earning job in, with a kingdom mindset, right. with a kingdom filter as, a, as opposed to accumulation of stuff? Right. Um, and then the second thing, you know, back to the mission thing, the second thing I tell them, the reason you're going out to do these things is so that it changes the way you pray. Yeah. Stop praying for your food. Stop praying for, you know, to score the goal or that this chick says yes to the prom. Like, that, that goes for us adults too, man. Right. We, 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 te- we treat them like a genie sometimes. But, but go see things and pray the kingdom into that situation. Yeah. Heaven forbid we, we pray for God's kingdom to come down and invade these dark, ugly, systematized areas of sin. Right. Amen? Amen. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah. And so... <laughs> In your youth group, in your household, in your Christian school classroom, wherever it is that you're trying to give students a glimpse of the kingdom, I think let's all together, one, try to understand what this kingdom actually is, and then cultivate hearts that want to use the creativity that the Holy Spirit has given them and the skills that the Holy Spirit has given them to then go out and make pockets of the kingdom where shalom is real all over the world. Amen. Amen. That'll preach.
Confessions of a High School Bible Teacher is a collection of theological musings and real experiences through the eyes of two Christian school teachers. We do not profess to be professional theologians, but we want to provide a voice and resources for those of us working in the unique context of Christian schools. We hope you join the conversation.